0: This is Science Moab, a radio show exploring the science and learning about the scientists from the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina, and on today's show, we talk about the fungi that live within the desert soil. We explore how long it's been there, what it's doing, and why it's important to the well-being of our desert. It's a good show. Stay with us.
1: I still feel like I'm that, that old child, you know, looking underground discovering new things all the time
0: Science Moab, we're talking about fungi in the desert soil with Dr. Nancy Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a globally recognized soil ecologist from Northern Arizona University, specializing in the function of mycorrhizal fungi. These fungi are common types that are associated with the roots of many plants and many here in our own desert. Dr. Johnson explains the fungi's evolutionary past, its role in the ecosystem today, and how she became interested in these fascinating organisms. We begin with Dr. Johnson explaining where these organisms belong on the tree of life.
1: It turns out it's an entire phylum of fungi. So within the fungi, there's basidiomycetes, there's ascomycetes, and this is a whole, its own group, like glomer. Um, this glomeromycota, so uh, basidium mycota, ascomycota, glomeromycota, muromycota, There's a bunch of with, phyla within the kingdom fungus. The kingdom so, fungus. Yes, it's a kingdom. So again, yeah, people were trying to figure out where fungus should go. When I took botany, fungi were in my botany book, but it turns out actually, I think genetically fungi are probably more closely related to animals than plants Um, so it's been kind of a wild ride taxonomically for fungi you know they they started out (laughs) with plants and then people said oh no no they're their own kingdom and and within the kingdom fungi there's an entire phylum that is the glomeromycota and evolutionarily they're incredibly ancient There's absolutely no question um, that they were around before plants even had evolved roots. Um, There's really solid fossil evidence that they were um, in the, the plants that were just sort of developing in terrestrial systems. And so they probably helped plants evolve the kind of roots we see today because they evolved in partnership with um, a fungus this, this arbuscular mycorrhizal fungus they are very common in more primitive plants and they just continue to co-evolve with plants up to the most advanced groups of plants and a lot of uh, grasses that's what i like to study are very dependent on their mycorrhizal associations with Glomeromycota, especially if they're C4 grasses. C3 grasses, less so. And um, there's some really interesting phylogenetic patterns um, of these fungi with symbiosis with plants.
0: So yeah, you're saying that they evolved with plants, but and you're talking about a symbiosis, but what does that really mean? What are they doing? Oh, good question.
1: Well, um, these fungi are especially good at getting phosphorus out of uh, mineral soil, and also out of organic compounds. They also get nitrogen, but I think the evidence is pretty solid that they uh, take up and need uh, a lot of nitrogen, so they're less likely to actually help the plant with its nitrogen requirements. Um, And In fact, there's good evidence that they compete with their host plant for nitrogen. But their their big service is exchanging phosphorus for carbon, so uh, like most fungi, they are heterotrophs. That means they cannot feed themselves. They need autotrophic carbon from a green plant uh, to live, and so the the plant uh, takes CO2 from the atmosphere, uh, fixes it into sugars, and then it trades those sugars with Uh, the fungus in return for minerals, especially phosphorus, but they also can help in the nutrition for zinc and micronutrients like copper, um, things that don't move very well in the soil. So some essential nutrients get stuck on soil particles, We, we call those immobile nutrients, and those are the nutrients that the fungus, because it it produces this very extensive, very fine network of hyphae that is huge, but it's invisible because it's so thin, that's what the fungus really can help access because of the increased surface area. Um, And so actively can be uh, gathering up these minerals, bringing them in towards uh, the plant uh, root. And the reason it's called arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi is because the fungus produces these little tree-like structures inside the root and tree of course is an arbor you know so they're little tree-like arbuscules uh, inside the cortex of the root and that's the that's generally the location where this exchange happens but there is evidence that there's hyphae inside the roots too and some coils of these hyphae so it can exchange it through those surfaces too, but the arbuscules are really good uh, because they, they're, they're just really developed to, to have these exchange sites. And more and more evidence uh, shows that it's uh, really a two-way process, that the plant can chemically recognize the presence of the fungus in their rooting area. They send out chemical signals to the fungus, and in return, the fungus sends other chemical signals. And it's like this conversation. So they're
0: talking. They're
1: talking through chemicals um, in the soil. And when they they make the connection, it's like something knocking on the door. The plant actually makes a way for the fungus to enter into the root. It doesn't ever come into the, the, the membrane, the cell membrane, but it comes between um, the cell membrane and into the cell wall and it works its way into the root and essentially the plant leads it into where it wants it to come and the plant, you know, through this conversation. You really can't um, make, especially in field plants, it's very difficult to say, well, this plant has a lot of fungus in the roots so it's very much involved in a beneficial relationship. Not at all. You can have a root that's completely packed with fungus and um, it's really not helping the plant whatsoever. And you can have a root that has very little fungus in it and it's a really good symbiosis that's helping the plant a lot.
0: So what is determining that?
1: Well, it's the balance of nutrients versus carbon. And that really is the the heart of it. And there's some exciting new studies that show that, um, well, these These networks of the the high-fold networks that go from one plant, they actually can connect many plants. So if you look in a plant community... Wait, hold on. So
0: one plant can be connected to another plant through fungi?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In in fact, they can all be connected to each other. And it's called the common mycelial network or common mycorrhizal network. Um, And it's huge. And I've got a completely different approach image of plant communities once i started realizing the the vastness of these common mycorrhizal networks you know that the whole uh, you know a whole community of plants could be linked below ground uh the fungus goes from one root to another it doesn't matter if it's the same plant species even
0: that's amazing it is amazing
1: and so the role of this common mycorrhizal network um, can be we, we there's there's not good evidence that carbon is transferred um, by the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi from one plant to the next because the fungus wants the carbon it keeps the carbon but there's really good evidence that um, things like phosphorus could go from um, you know within the common mycelial network uh, across many different plants so you could have one plant feeding a fungus and it's delivering f- phosphorus to another plant. And there's also some really exciting new evidence that shows that um, plants have almost a a warning system when they are attacked by herbivores. Um, There's these- So herbivores, like things that will eat the plant. Exactly. Insects or uh, animal, um, other larger animals, uh, grazers, that when a plant is wounded, It creates these phytoalexins, which are chemical compounds that um, are um, induced by damage. And um, these compounds have been shown to be uh, translocated from one plant to another through the fungal network. So that's been shown in, in... like greenhouse experiments where they have a whole row, a whole lineup of plants with one common mycelial network, mycorrhizal network, and they will damage a plant on one end of the bench and the plants on the other end of the bench will respond to the, the um, attack because of their connection through the fungus.
0: So the plants are talking to each other?
1: Yes, through the fungus. Through the fungus. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So how, is this every ecosystem?
1: Yeah, so uh, from a a biome perspective, the arbuscular mycorrhizae are going to be dominant in deserts, in uh, grasslands, both temperate grasslands and tropical grasslands, in tropical rainforests, and in um, temperate forests, there's sort of a, a mix of ectomycorrhizae and arbuscular mycorrhizae. And
0: ecto is outside of the plant root.
1: Exactly. The ectos, you can see a lot of the ectomycorrhizal roots with your naked eye. Oh, cool. Because those fungi will form a, a sheath on the outside. And sometimes the roots are really, um, they're just completely coated with this this network of fungus, um, this mantle of fungus. And it, it looks often that the roots are like stubby. Um, so you can see it with your naked eye. And those fungi tend to get pretty big. Um, and they those form mushrooms and truffles um, things that are large and showy the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi you can't see them with your naked eye you have to use a microscope and even more than that you have to uh, make the root clear um, and then put some stain Uh, soak it in some stain so the cells of the roots are broken open and then the stain can get inside the roots and then you can start to see um, the fungus and it it stays in the cortex of the roots, not on the inner steel of the roots but it will stay in the cortex and then there's just vast quantities of it that extend the, 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 the hyphae will go into the soil miles and miles of hyphae in a handful of soil. Miles. Miles, oh miles, yeah miles and miles. <laughs> high. You can't see it, but you're <laughs> your holding it in your hand, and yeah, oh, yeah.
0: yeah. So is it safe to say, so, so say I'm in Moab, and I go out to a grassland in, in Moab, I mean, is it safe to say that I'm, look, I'm, like, standing on, like, vast, huge amounts of this fungi that's connecting all of the plants that I see around me? Oh, yes. Yeah. That changes the way you see the world.
1: Oh, I know it. <laughs> I know it. It, it certainly does.
0: right Right now, and then there's also a lot of invasion of different species into areas that they hadn't been, and then there's also this overlying climate change issues of, you know, unpredictable climates in the future, and I was wondering if you foresee these having an impact on the obrescular mycorrhizal communities and how they're working with the plants.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, well, there is evidence that some... Some invasive species actually commandeer the mycorrhizae and it helps the, the invasive plant invade. That is so
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that <laughs> How do they do that?
1: Yeah, well they're just more effective at, you know, taking over that mycorrhizal network and using it to their advantage. So there is evidence for that. Um, we've also seen evidence, though, that that in other systems, the presence of a, a good, solid mycorrhizal network can help a community resist invasion. Um, so it can go both ways. There's, there's evidence of both ways.
0: I am going to change gears a little bit, and I'm going to ask you, I'm interested in what first got you interested in studying mycorrhizal fungi.
1: Oh, well, it was a long time ago. <laughs> it would have been um, it would have been 1982 I got accepted to do a master's degree at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and I was in a botany department and I had a TA ship and my advisor... That's when you're a teaching assistant. Yes, a teaching assistant. So when you're a teaching assistant uh, it means that your advisor doesn't have a research project that you're being funded to work on. It means that you can be a free agent <laughs> <laughs> and that was fine i was I was happy I liked to, to being a teach I like teaching botany, helping teach botany labs um, and so I started this program and I knew I was interested in symbiosis and mutualisms. so I was trying to think of a project that i could study mutualisms and i'd considered looking at the um, the azola fern um, there's a a fern an aquatic fern that has a cyanobacteria that lives in it and i thought that would be really interesting and i was just looking into you know what was out there and i happened to take uh, at that time um, it was a plant physiology class i I, I was enrolled in a plant physiology class um, my first semester, and in the plant physiology book there was one paragraph about mycorrhizal symbiosis. And I read that paragraph and I said, oh wow, that sounds so cool. So I went to the library, and of course this was when nothing was online. You, you'd go to the library, and you'd pull journals off the shelf, and you know, read the articles right there in the library. So it took me about maybe two weeks maximum to read all the papers I could find that were published. And in the pretty substantial library, University of Wisconsin, I could read all all the papers. And after reading all the papers, I said, okay, that's what I want to study. And, you know, it, and then I just kind of kept going. And um, we moved to Minnesota. I started a Ph.D. there. And initially I thought, oh, I'll study something else. You know, I felt, well, you know, I should branch out a little bit. And my advisor was Dave Tillman, and he said, I, I don't care what you study as long as it's in the soil. Just keep studying something <laughs> in the soil. So I, I think I spent a few months thinking, well, maybe I'll study soil algae but then I went to a couple meetings, I went to the Ecological Society of America and by that time there were a few talks on arbuscular mycorrhizal ecology and I went to an, another soil ecology meeting and I think there might have been one or two talks on arbuscular mycorrhizal ecology and I realized that nobody was asking the right questions. I really felt strongly that you know we were not going in the right direction in these studies, that really there was a lot that needed to be done so i went back in deeply <laughs> and i haven't come out since and the funny thing is now i just did a i just was looking at the literature this past year and now there's i think almost 1500 or 1600 papers a year published on mycorrhizae
0: wow. can i ask you to go back even further you said you knew you wanted to study symbiosis, but, but what did, got you first interested in science and symbiosis to begin with?
1: Oh, well, you know, I, I, I had a funny experience. Um, as a kid, you know, you think back, you don't really recognize that, you know, every child, you know, what you're kind of paying attention to. But on hindsight, I realized that I always was interested in the soil, always. So I remember distinctly sitting on the sidelines of some game that we were supposed to be playing and instead of watching, you know, the game, I was uh, just sort of digging it on the ground in the soil and I remember actually coming back to my desk with like a handful of soil and and kind of spreading the whole thing out on the on the desk and looking at it and there were these little crystals and of course l- later I realized well the crystals were salt crystals because you know in I was in Minnesota so those were remnants from the salts. But anyway, so I was looking and trying to, understand, what all is in there? So it was just this fascination with the soil. And I, you know, I, I just, you know, you have these little memories from your childhood, but that would, yeah, I was in elementary school then. But the, the funniest, the funniest experience I had was um, the day before I was going to defend my Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota. You know, it was kind of nerve-wracking, you know, what are you going to do? So I was uh, cleaning out drawers, and I cleaned out a dresser that we had inherited from my grandmother. And um, back in those days, they used to put uh, drawer paper on the bottom of the drawer, and so I emptied everything out. I got to the drawer paper, which is all yellow and old, so I took that piece of paper up, and underneath that piece of paper... There was a drawing, you know, one of those um, drawings on the Manila paper we used to use with color crayons, and it was a a color a colored picture that I had made for my grandmother, and I I don't know how old I think I was probably oh I don't know five or six, and um, you know so by that time you know I you know learned a little bit about child psychology and I just looked at this picture it was a. It was a a picture of a bird, uh, but the bird wasn't in the sky. It was a bird standing on the ground. And the bird was eating a worm. It was actually pulling the worm out of the soil. And then underneath the bird, there was another worm in the ground, and that worm was running away in the ground. (laughs) And then. Next to the bird were some tulip plants, but it wasn't just the flowers. The tulips had bulbs, and the bulbs had roots. And there was this incredible amount of detail, and then there was grass, and there was grass roots. And so the bird was, yeah, the central focus of the picture, obviously, but the bird was, you know, focused also on the ground with the worms and the roots. And then the rest of the picture, you know, the sky was just like blank, except for this little tiny cloud up in the corner of the sky, and the little tiny sun in the other corner. And I, you know, the the fact that I found it the day before I defended my dissertation, which i had been, you know, studying soil, you know, ecology, it was kind of shocking. So I I put the pi- the picture away, and I still have it, um, and I often think of it actually, that. It, I was just, I was lucky enough to be born in an age that I could actually follow my calling. I I think that soil ecology was my calling, always, but um, I'm pretty sure I was the first generation of women that the doors were open for.
0: What do you enjoy about being a scientist and a soil ecologist?
1: Oh, well, yes. In addition to not having to grow up, <laughs> um, I, I so enjoy the opportunity to work with students. And um, it's been so rewarding uh, to, you know, see students coming in with lots of, of ideas and questions that I can't even imagine and skills
0: that are amazing. You can listen again to Science Moab on KZMU.org or by downloading the Science Moab podcast on iTunes. The music for our show is written by Jeremy Spaulding and the show is produced by Christina Young and KZMU.